So keep your Bible open there to Matthew 15, verse 21, and I'm going to read that for you in a moment. Um, Sometimes I, uh, as a pastor, uh, I've been doing this for a while now, 19 years, um, this August, this last month. Um, Sometimes I I get down about uh, my failures as a pastor, and the more years go by, the more of those failures I see. And there, there are moments, and sometimes they last a while, where I just see all the failures, or many of the failures at once, and it just uh, overwhelms me, and I get down about um, all, all the, the failures that, that they're so obvious to me, and I should have done this, and I should have done that, and I should have been different, and I should have changed this, and, and all these kinds of things. And in those, those moments, um, maybe you've experienced something like this, um, God can feel far away from me, as if he is, is not helping me, as if he has turned his back on me, as if he has removed himself from me, as if he is distant from me. Um, I heard someone use the metaphor um, uh, of the vents being closed. You know, a, a room can be, a house can be heated, but one particular room, you can have all the vents closed, and with the door shut, that can be a cold room. My grandparents' house near Scranton, Pennsylvania, there was one room that they never heated, way at the back of the house, and you'd go in there, and that room would be freezing cold um, if you were there in in that season of of the year. And that one room, the vents are all closed, so the heat's not in that room, and it's sealed off, and it's a cold room. Sometimes you can feel like you're living in that cold room. The vents are sealed, and the heat is not coming in. You can't feel the mercy of God. You can't feel that God is with you. God feels far away. (sighs) Frankly, this morning, um, my heart is uh, is with y'all, but my heart is with the Pancook family in St. Louis. Um, They're all gathered together with Marlene has just had a stroke. And I imagine that family may be feeling this this morning. Um, They lost their father to COVID complications last year, and now the mother of this family is, um, had a terrible stroke that, uh, barring God's miracle, looks very, very, very serious. Um, and I can imagine that those circumstances are, are very bitter to them to the degree that maybe some of them are feeling God uh, is far away. God is not with them. I hope that's not the case, but it, you could understand why it would be the case. Do you ever feel like this? Are there things in your life that make you feel like this? Maybe it's your circumstances Maybe you feel God is far away because of your circumstances. It doesn't seem like God's working here. It doesn't seem like God's active, God's helping right now. Maybe it's your failures. Maybe it's your failures with your children. Maybe it's your failures at work. Maybe it's your failures in your marriage, failures in some way, failures in your life that you see those failures and you feel, and you feel that God is, is not with you. God is not helping you. Maybe it's your sin. Maybe it's a sin that you keep you keep. You get away from it, and then you come back to it year after year, and you go back to this sin again. And when that sin comes back, you can feel that God is far away, that he has turned his back on you, that he's not with you, that he's removed himself from you, and that you're living in that cold room. You're living under dark, dark clouds instead of sunshine. Um, It can even be be, um, studying certain portions of the Bible. As strange as this may sound to you, even though it's God's truth and God's Word, the Bible is all the inspired Word of God, but certain portions of the Bible 
are, can be very, very dark and very, very focused on one theme. And you can, you can be reading certain parts of the Bible and be so locked into that one theme in that portion of the Bible. For example, the opening chapters of Jeremiah, dozens of chapters, opening chapters of Jeremiah, but other p- passages as well. You could be just locked into that, pa- that, that particular section, and the Bible itself can be making you feel uh, dark and feeling as if God is um, far away. Um, you can, because you've lost track of other themes in the Bible, you've only, you've only, you're only receiving at this point this one theme. You can hear biblical teaching sometimes, and what's being said is true, but it's just one theme, and that one theme is beginning to um, take over your heart and mind, and you're, you're losing track of other truths in the Bible, and, and that one theme is, is, is darkening your mind. Um, I got to tell you that this week I really found help in this story. This story meant so much to me that I'm going to read. When I say story, I don't mean it's not history. It's not fact. But it is a story, uh, a story of something that happened in Jesus' life. And it's in chapter 15, verse 21 through 28. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 through 28. That's all we're going to read today. And I found so much help in this story this week. I was very, very encouraged by this story. And I hope you will be too. And you'll find some help with this. Look with me at this passage. Matthew 15, verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Stop there for a moment. Tyre, the region of Tyre and Sidon, if you don't understand what's being said here, is Tyre and Sidon is pagan country. This is Gentile country. This is, they are leaving Galilee. They are leaving the area where Jews lived, and they are actually withdrawing into an area that is mostly Gentile. Um, this is a pagan area. Um, if you were looking at a map, and I guess I'll turn towards you for the map, uh, the map Galilee, if Galilee is right here, Jerusalem's way down here. If Galilee's right here, Tyre and Sidon are way up here to the northwest, right on the coast of the Mediterranean, and that whole area is like a pagan area. So Jesus is like going into pagan country. He is withdrawing from the crowds in the Jewish country and going to pagan country. And this woman who comes to him is described as a Canaanite. This is the only time that word Canaanite is used in the New Testament. It's used in the Old Testament quite a bit. And, and, you, and I hope you, if you know the Old Testament at all, you know that Canaanites are the historic and ancient enemies of God. The enemies of Israel, the enemies of God's people. You can read many, many uh, descriptions of judgment on the Canaanites and God's curse on the Canaanites in the Old Testament. These are the people of the land before Israel came in. In fact, you can read in Joshua how the Israelites were commanded to, at that point in history, not later in history, but at that point in history, they were commanded to uh, kill and annihilate the Canaanites as judgment on them for their sin. It was God's judgment. Uh, uh, God had pronounced a judgment on the Canaanites at that point in history and had pronounced that, that, that Israel was to destroy them and kill them. And so the Canaanites, this is an ancient enemy of God, an ancient enemy of, of Israel, of God's people. Um, that's who this woman is. And in addition, you know, she says that her daughter 
is suffering terribly from, from demon possession. So there's many reasons for this woman to feel rejected by the God of Israel, to feel like the God of Israel is not her friend, the God of Israel is not with her, the God of Israel would never help her, the God of Israel uh, hates her and rejects her. Um, uh, there's many reasons for her to feel that. She's, uh, she's a Canaanite, um, a histor- an ancient enemy of God, and her child is possessed by an evil spirit, oppressed, afflicted by an evil spirit. And she says terribly afflicted. We don't know. She doesn't describe the details of what's happening, but uh, she, she accentuates uh, the affliction as something horrible that is happening to her own family. Her own daughter is afflicted in this way. Um, look, let, let's read on the story. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm sorry, I wanted to say one other thing. Um, uh, her call out to Jesus, Lord, Son of David. I've mentioned this before, but let me remind you, or you may have not have been here when I said this. When someone in the Gospels says, Son of David, they are saying Messiah. Uh, that, what they meant by Son of David, that was another way of saying Messiah. They're saying the great, the king in the line of David. And this is a pagan, so somehow she has heard enough about Jesus and heard enough about um, that the, the Jews' belief in a coming Messiah, a son of David who is coming, who will do something wonderful, and he's coming from God. And, and they've, this lady has heard enough about this. We don't know how much information she had, but she's heard enough to believe herself that Jesus is the Messiah. Lord, Son of God, have mercy on me. And what is she asking for? She's asking for mercy. Mercy is the help in your affliction, help in your trouble, help in your pain, help in your sin, help in whatever trouble or affliction you have. Mercy is you're calling out for assistance and aid and relief and rescue and help in your trouble, in your pain. And that's what she's saying, have mercy on me. And then she describes her trouble. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Let's read on, verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. Jesus did not answer a word. Basically, this is telling us that Jesus ignored her. He just went on about his business. He did not respond. Sort of troubling. Sort of difficult. You can understand why that would be hard for her to take, Uh, that uh, she's calling out like this to this Messiah, and he is not acknowledging her existence, not acknowledging that she's there. Read on. So his disciples came to Jesus and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. She's annoying the disciples. So she's also getting from the followers of the Messiah, the ones closest to him, his second-hand men, his, his, his men who, who um, you know, assist him in everything, um, that she is annoying them and bothering them, and they don't like her or want her around, and they want Jesus to just tell her to leave and to send her away. Um, verse 24, and Jesus answered to the disciples. She's not, he's not speaking to her at this point. He's speaking to the disciples. Jesus answered his disciples, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I was sent only to the lost sheep sheep of Israel. And what is Jesus talking about? He's telling, um, he's talking about um, his mission that he was given by his father. He was sent into the world. And what was Jesus to do uh, during his teaching ministry? He's really referring to his teaching ministry at this point. 
His teaching ministry was to get the message of the kingdom out to the Jews, get it out to the nation of Israel. Um, now, there are many, many hints, and, and w- since we've been through in Matthew a long time, and we've got more of Matthew to study, there are many hints throughout Matthew that it's not going to end with the Jews, but it certainly begins with the Jews. And Jesus' mission, his earthly mission of teaching was a mission to the Jewish people to get them the message of the kingdom, and then eventually the message was going to go to the Gentiles. And, do, and you remember how the book of Matthew ends. We haven't gotten there yet, but some of you may have read it before. The Great Commission, right, where they are sent to all the world. The disciples are then sent out. After the resurrection is over, they are sent, they are told to, and of course they wait till Pentecost, but, but they are sent, they are commanded to go into all the world and now take the message. In chapter 10, they're told only to go to the Jews. But at the end of the book, chapter 28, they're told, but so Jesus, to go to the whole world, go to the pagans, go to the Gentiles. So, but Jesus is saying, he's talking about his, his mission. And so once again, he's telling the truth and he's talking about his mission. He's not explaining it very in depth, but you can see how once again, this would be sort of a slap in the face if she overheard it. We don't know if she heard him say this or not, but if she heard this, this would be a bit of a slap in the face. Like, I'm not, I, you're not, you know, almost like a pastor saying to someone who asks for help, you're not in my church, you know, you're not, you know, I, I don't have time for you because you're not in my church. Um, he, he's saying, like, you're not, in, you're, not, you're not part of my mission. You know, this, you have nothing to do with me or, or my mission. Now, we know we have the bigger picture and know what's coming in Matthew 28 and coming in the book of Acts, but she didn't have that. This is what she hears from Jesus, you know, if, if she heard this particular statement. But he is going to say something to her in a moment. So there's, once again, there's so many reasons for her to feel a bit reject, uh, rejected by God here. Now, let's, let's read on. Let's keep going. The woman came. She, she gets through. Somehow she gets through to Jesus. She came and she knelt before him or even bowed before him. Uh, that verb can mean that she bowed down before him and she said, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Once again, this is another way of asking for mercy. Help me. I have, I've told you, you've heard my trouble. Help me. Help me, she said. And he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. That's Jesus' response to her when she says, help me. I don't know about you, but it sounds a bit harsh to me. It sounds pretty tough and pretty harsh. Now, what's the metaphor he's using here? What's, now, we, it is a metaphor. I mean, this is obviously a symbol and a metaphor. He's using metaphoric language. And the metaphor he's using is uh, the family eating at the table, and they have the food on the table. And now, some of you may disagree with Jesus here. You may say, no, share with them doggies. But that's not this culture Doggies are scum in this culture. Doggies are not sweet. Doggies are not cute. You don't have doggy shows, and you dress your doggies up, and you cut their hair really nice, and they're purebreds, um, and they're beautiful, you know, and they're beautiful or weird, you know, depending on which breed it is. But um, but that's not this culture. That's not this culture. Dogs are scavengers. They're like rats. They're just another kind of rat. Um, they're not, they're not, they knew they weren't rats, but I mean, they, that's the way they thought of them. Dogs are, this is not nice to say someone's, even, even though he's saying, he actually is not saying, uh, the word there is not the word dog, it's the, it's the, the diminutive, it's, it's doggy, I mean, it's little doggy. 
Uh, and so he's actually even saying little doggy, and some thinks, oh, he means cute little doggies. No, he just means smaller rats. I mean, he just means smaller uh, scavengers. Um, now, not only are they scavengers, they're little scavengers. You know, these are unimportant, uh, annoying things, you know. But, but it is a metaphor, and Jesus isn't, you know, really saying to a woman, I don't think of you as a human being. I don't think you're, you're important. You're just a dog. That's not what he's saying. He's using a symbol. And so what's the symbol? The symbol is, I came to, it's the same thing he already said about Israel. Who are the children sitting around the table who are supposed to eat from, who are part of the family who are supposed to eat at the master's table? Israel, right? The Jews. And the dogs that are under their feet, down around, sniffing around, trying to see if you dropped anything. Uh, I don't know about you, but my dog, is, if you're making anything in the kitchen, my dog is walking around you looking at the floor like this, you know? Have you dropped anything yet? Have you dropped anything? And I might drop a carrot, a little piece of carrot, and that dog's going to try to eat that carrot. And, you know, whatever it is, a little piece of lettuce, he's going to eat it. You know, like, this must be good, because the humans are eating it, so this must be good stuff. Well, it's the same, he's saying, I'm, he says, it's not right. It's not right for me to take the meal and say, like, oh, here's, the, here's the, the roast beef, and just throw it onto the floor. Dogs, have fun with that. Enjoy that stuff. He goes, that's not right. That's not good. That's the metaphor Jesus is using, okay? And it's, I mean, that's a harsh metaphor to speak to a woman who you're saying you're among the dogs. That's tough. That's a, that's a hard thing to say. Um, now, that's not the only thing we're going to find out that Jesus has to say to her. But sometimes you hear one thing and it can sound, and from the Bible or from biblical truth, and it can sound like that's the whole thing, and that's, that's a hard thing. But, the, uh, but it's not the whole thing that Jesus was going to have to say, but it is what he says to her at this point, right here at this point. This is what he says to her. He makes this point about the Jews and the Gentiles, um, that Jesus' ministry originally was to come to the Jews, but of course it is going to go to the Gentiles. But she doesn't know that yet, really. She doesn't know that whole plan. Um, so another harsh word of rejection. The dogs are the pagans in this area that we were talking about, uh, this Tyre and Sidon area. These are the dogs, and the Jews are back in Galilee. The, the children uh, of, of the master are back in Galilee. So he says that to her. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. And listen to what she says. Yes, Lord, she said, Yes. But even the dogs eat the crumbs. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. That fall from their master's table. The master is the Messiah. The master is the, or God, you know, either one. The master is the one who provides for Israel. The God of Israel, the Messiah of Israel, provides the good and the salvation for Israel, for the children. But she says, hey, Jesus, you know, even with your metaphor, the crumbs, you know, she, 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 she makes a point with Jesus. The crumbs fall to the dogs, right, Jesus? It's, you know the dogs eat the stuff that's on the floor. So there's, there's mercy for me. There's, there's help for me. You can help me. You can be merciful to me. Um, and uh, we're going to see in a minute that Jesus thinks this was an excellent answer. <laughs> he said this was an answer full of faith, an answer full of faith. In verse 28, we're going to see that he says this is, he, he, he praises her great faith. And guess who he said had little faith in the chapter before? Peter. <laughs> in chapter 14, he said to Peter, 
man of little faith. Man, he doesn't say he doesn't have any faith. He just says he has little faith. Here he says that this woman, this pagan woman with a demon-possessed daughter, says, oh, such great faith, such great faith that you have. So I want to I ask for a second, what is this great faith that she has, that, that, that Jesus praises? And by the way, the only other person that Jesus says their faith is amazing to him and so great, does anybody know? Chapter 8, I think it's chapter 8. The Roman centurion, another Gentile. Two times he makes a point of saying, wow, now this is faith. This is such great faith. And it's a Roman centurion and it's a pagan woman who comes. But what is the faith? I mean, first of all, we know that she believes that Jesus is the Messiah, so she believes that Jesus is sent by God. But that's not her full faith. That's not the faith. That's part of the faith. She believes who Jesus is. She believes he is the Messiah. She believes that God has sent him into the world for for, for God's mission, and she probably doesn't know too much about what that mission is, but she knows that he's bringing, she she wouldn't have come to Jesus if she hadn't heard things about him, heard things about what he had done, his healings, heard heard things about what he had said, maybe some of his teachings. And what she believes about Jesus, she, does, she doesn't just believe that Jesus is Messiah, she believes that the Messiah is merciful. This is her faith. She believes something about God and the Messiah that God has sent into the world. The God of Israel and the Messiah of Israel that God has sent into the world, she has a faith about that. She has a doctrine that she holds on to and she believes in, and that tr- as, 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 as little as she knew about the Bible and as little as she probably had, she had this, that this one Jesus is the Messiah sent by God and the Messiah and the God who sent him is merciful, merciful, full of mercy, so that I know that even though I'm not among his people, even though that he, he considers me like, like uh, you know, not one of the children at the table, not of, the, not of Israel, I'm a pagan. I'm, 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 I'm very, very different. I have not grown up worshiping his, the, the God that he represents. I have not grown learning their scriptures. I don't know their scriptures and all their doctrines. I don't know all their theology. I don't know all their truth. I don't know all their word. I am sinful. I know that they would consider me sinful, that I haven't done the right thing, that I've been disobedient to what God, what God would want. I know that they would consider me a, a pagan. I know they consider me an outsider. But I also believe that the Messiah is merciful, and that mercy is for all, and that mercy is for me too. And that I know that if I ask him for mercy, even even though he's rebuffing me at first. I know what's behind the rebuff. I agree with the rebuff. I agree I'm not Israel. I agree I'm a pagan. I agree. But I also believe and I also know that this Messiah is merciful. I have heard about him. I have heard what he does for people. I have heard about his heart. I have heard about the heart that he has of love and mercy. I know this Messiah by his reputation and I know I can say, Yes, dog. Yes, dog, Lord. Whatever. Just give me the crumbs. Just give me your mercy. Let me eat from the table. Let me eat or let me eat at the bottom of the table. Whatever it is, Lord. Yes. So notice she comes humbly too. She comes in great humility. She's like, yes, sinner. Yes, pagan. Yes, ignorant. 
Yes, demon-possessed daughter. Yes, problems. Yes, I know I don't deserve to be here. Give me mercy because you are merciful. And she doesn't stop asking. She has no problem asking because she knows her faith. What is the strong faith that she has? The faith that Jesus is amazed by and says, great faith, that she knows the nature of God and the nature of Messiah, that he is merciful. This is what she knew. This is what she knows about him. And so she doesn't stop asking because she knows he's merciful. She knows what he's really like. She believed that Jesus will be merciful to her, that the dogs will be fed from the master's table. Um, And so Jesus praises her faith. Verse 28, I didn't read it. Let me read it for you. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Returning to what I said at the beginning, do you sometimes feel that God is far away from you? Do you sometimes feel you're in those dark clouds? Do you sometimes feel the vents are closed and you're in a cold room and there's no heat from God where you are, the season of life you're in, or the difficult thing? And it can be your circumstances. It can be your failures. It can be certain parts of the Bible that that are bothering you or certain teachings that are troubling you. It can be your own sin. The evidence to you at that moment or that season that you're in, that the evidence looks to you like God is not merciful to you, that God is not with you, that God is not kind to you, that God does not love you, that he doesn't have a mercy for you, that he's turned his back on you or turned away from you. Believe in Jesus' mercy. Believe in his mercy. Believe wherever you are, whatever the circumstances are, whatever, uh, whatever your sin is, whatever your failures are, whatever is troubling you, whatever, whatever uh, thought pattern you've gotten yourself into that has begun to, to take you further and further away from, 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 from God or further and further away from, from, from feeling God's care, believe in Jesus' mercy because the Bible told you so. Because the Bible told you so. The Bible tells us what Jesus is. It it shows us what he did. It shows us what he taught. It shows us what he gave to his apostles to teach and what they were supposed to teach us about God and about Jesus. And it tells us mercy, mercy, mercy. And it points us to the cross, the cross, the cross as the demonstration of that mercy. Do you want to know Jesus' mercy? Consider what he did for sinners. Consider what he did for uh, pagans. Consider what he died for pagans on that cross. He died for uh, people uh, full of demons on that cross. He died for people who were ignorant of him on that cross to bring them into the faith, to give them knowledge, to give them guidance, to give them hope. But it's, he, it's because of his mercy. He is merciful. He is merciful. And so uh, the truth about you does not change that. The truth about you. The truth about you, the truths about you do not change. The tr- you, you can tell the truth all day long about yourself. I have done this. I have failed here. Uh, this terrible thing is happening in my life. And you can tell all these different truths about your life. The truth doesn't change the fact. Admit those things. Yes, these are true. This is true about me. This is true of my failures. This is true of my difficult circumstances. This is true about my sin. This is true about my ignorance. This is true about my failures here and there. Um, Admit those things. Humble yourself. Admit that that stuff is true. But none of those things change anything about God. God does not change. 
Jesus does not change. He is still mercy. Your, you know, you don't, his mercy doesn't, doesn't take a hit. It's not like, uh, uh, oh, I can't think of a good example. It's not like something that you use some of this and now there's a little bit less. You use a little bit more. I need some more mercy. Oh, there's a little bit less now. And so his mercy is shrinking. It doesn't change. It does, he is merciful. He is mercy. No matter, you, don't, you can't damage his mercy. You can't ruin his mercy. You can't decrease his mercy. You can't take away from his mercy. You can only receive from the abundance of his mercy, which never changes. Jesus is merciful. Go to him today for mercy and live on mercy. Don't live on your stupid accomplishments. Don't live on your righteousness, which is so weak, folks. Don't live on your obedience, which really stinks, frankly. Don't live on your biblical theological knowledge. Don't live on that your circumstance, everything is going so well. I've got a fantastic job, marriage, family. All this is going fantastic. I am really sailing right here. God is really with me. Ah, don't live on that. That's going to change tomorrow. It's going to change tomorrow. Live on mercy. Live on God's mercy, that God is merciful, and you can always go to the one who is mercy, and he provides mercy for you through Jesus Christ, his Messiah, and through the cross. And it's always there for you. No matter who you are, turn to him. Humble yourself. You have to admit sin. God requires of us to humble ourselves and admit our sin. But then there is mercy for those who will acknowledge their sin. There is mercy. So open the heat vents in that room where you are. The heat vents are open simply by by believing what the Bible tells us about God, that he is mercy and that the heat is is there. You simply need to open the vents and and, and receive from him um, and acknowledge acknowledge his, his nature, acknowledge who he is. And let me conclude with this. If Jesus did not turn away a pagan Canaanite asking for mercy, he will not turn away you. He won't turn away you. And the Old Testament passage we read this morning, he didn't turn away Hagar either, did he? And Hagar says, is Hagar inside, you know, inside the, God's plan? And then God, not, no, in one sense, she's sort of on the side. But then she meets God and she says, oh, this is the God who sees me, the God who cares about me, the God who is with me. Uh, She recognizes that God is merciful there too. Another woman um, who's sort of outside the ordinary circumstances, and yet she says, God sees me. Um, If Jesus didn't turn away a pagan woman asking for mercy, he will not turn away you. Believe in Jesus' mercy. Believe Jesus is merciful. If that can get into your heart today, the heat will start flowing and you will recognize uh, the truth about God. Let's pray.